Okay, so in Philippians chapter 1, you know, the Apostle Paul, he prays a prayer of thanksgiving uh, for the Philippians. He's very grateful uh, for them. These guys are unlike, they're, they're, they're not a whole lot like the uh, Corinthians, you know, that had all kinds of horrible issues going on. These, uh, these Christians were obedient to the Lord. And since they were obedient to the Lord, they experienced the joy of the Lord. Okay? Now, they had, like, some squabble between two ladies in the church that Paul has to address. But overall, these are, these are godly Christian people. They supported Paul and his ministry even when he was behind bars. Even when others would say, well, he's behind bars, he can't do much preaching. And, uh, you know, but people would come to visit him in the Roman prison. And uh, so Paul thanks God for the Philippians and prays for them. And he rejoices that the gospel spreads even while he's in prison. Now, it's not just his good, loyal students that are preaching the word, preaching the gospel, but there's even guys that don't like Paul and butt heads with Paul. And some of them are preaching um, out of selfish ambition just because Paul's in prison. But Paul said, I don't care. As long as they're preaching the gospel, they don't have to like me. Okay? And so we got to remind ourselves about that. There might be a Christian brother or sister that you're not real compatible with, and you might need to keep your distance from them. You know, I hope that's not the case, but often it is the case. And, uh, but if they're preaching the true gospel, praise God. Pray for them. Even if they preach the true gospel for the wrong motives. Okay? Uh, now, Paul, what Paul is not saying is, he's not saying that he rejoices when, the, when false gospels are preached. No. Paul would take out a sledgehammer uh, to oppose that. But he rejoiced um, when the true gospel was preached, even by guys who didn't like him, and only preached out of envy and out of selfish ambition and, um, and strife with Paul, because Paul understood that it's not all about him. It's all about Jesus. You know, we, we, have, to, we have to understand it's, it's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's all about Jesus. We're either living for him or we're living for ourselves. We're either living to please God through the power of the Holy Spirit and for God's glory or we're living to please man. But it's not all about you and it wasn't all about Paul. So then in verses 19 to 26, Paul has a life or death decision. He knows that God's going to deliver him from prison but there's two ways God could deliver him from prison. One is God could take him home to be in heaven with Jesus. And, and that's what God chose to do in 2 Timothy when Paul's time of his departure had come, his second Roman imprisonment. But here, Paul's not sure, um, but he's thinking God is going to actually deliver him from prison the other way um, by his release from prison, so that he could continue to minister uh, to, to the uh, Philippians. Now, Paul is not ashamed. There is no shame in suffering for Christ. Okay? Um, but just make sure, though, don't go around acting like a suffering saint who is suffering for the cause of the gospel if you're... You know, a Christian who's just suffering for being stupid or being sinful. Okay? Often, I don't make the best decision, um, whether it's at school or whatever, or I don't do something technically the way I'm supposed to do it, and I get in trouble, and the temptation is to say, oh, I'm just suffering for the cause of the gospel. No. Um, sometimes I suffer for the cause of the gospel. Sometimes I suffer because I'm preaching Jesus and people persecute me. But there's other times, probably most of the time when I suffer, I'm just suffering for being stupid. Okay? And um, so keep that in mind. If there's a Christian brother or sister who have some kind of issue with you, uh, examine your conscience first. Before you, uh, even if the state 
is coming down on you. Examine your conscience first. Make sure you didn't do something to deserve it. Okay? And, uh, but, um, but whatever the case, we should never be ashamed in suffering for Christ. Jesus will be glorified in our lives, and he'll be glorified in our deaths. And Paul understood that. And so he says, and this is where we closed last week, or two weeks ago, Philippians 1.21, For to me, says Paul, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Okay? So, uh, Paul uh, understands this. Now, um, he says this in different ways. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15. Paul says this, talking about Jesus... And he died for all, and Jesus died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Because Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and he took your punishment for you, and he suffered in your place, since he died for you, the least that you can do, the least that we can do, is to live for him. Okay? You know, um, years ago there was a big movement the, based on In His Steps by, I think it was Charles Sheldon, um, the What Would Jesus Do movement. The kids got bracelets, What Would Jesus Do? And you, I, I think it was like 95% good, but there was 5% of it that didn't really apply to us. Because if somebody bowed down before Jesus to worship him, what would Jesus do? Well, he'd accept worship. Somebody bows down to worship you, you don't do that. Okay? Because he's God and you're not, you don't accept worship. Okay? Um, he probably wouldn't have called, God the Father probably would not have called us to cleanse the temple like he called Jesus um, to do. And um, so what would Jesus doesn't always apply. Most of the time it applies, but there are some things that Jesus did because he is God incarnate, and because we're not, we shouldn't do that. Okay? But what always works are these three principles in Christian living. That 2 Corinthians 5.15, that he died for us, therefore we should live for him. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, whatever you're saying, can you honestly say that you're living for Jesus? Okay? So that's number one, live for Jesus. Uh, then there's another passage, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all things for the glory of God. So each and every day when you're doing something, can you honestly say, I'm doing this because I'm living for Jesus and I'm doing this for God's glory, not my glory. I want the spotlight on God not myself. And it, it, it's tough. It's tough to decide. Sometimes you, I mean, going to church, that's pretty obvious. And studying the Bible, that's pretty obvious, okay? Um, but when a guy or a gal wants to be some kind of a Christian leader, am I doing this because I want the glory? Or if, am I doing this for the Lord's glory? Now, it was tough to accuse Paul of doing things for his glory because he'd get beat up, okay? He'd get in prison. But here in America, we get a pat on the back. We get people encouraging us. Okay, things are going to change. We're going to separate the men from the boys. Uh, we're going to separate the sheep from the goats as well. Uh, but it's going to be very, very uncomfortable being a Christian in America as we move forward in time. But are you living for Jesus? You know, even you might say, well, I slept for 12 hours on Friday night. Well, guess what? 
to be more productive for God's kingdom, I needed to sleep 12 hours on Friday night. Okay? Um, but if I'm sleeping 12 hours just because I'm a lazy guy, and um, then it's like, okay, I'm not living for Jesus right now. But are you living for Jesus? And are you living to bring glory to Jesus, not glory to yourself? Okay? And, uh, and the third thing is Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus says, Seek first, and he's talking about our needs, what we need, food, clothing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all your needs will be taken care of. Amen. Okay? So, those are the three ways that I try to determine if I'm in God's will or not. Okay? Can I honestly say I'm living for Jesus right now? Okay? Uh, can I honestly say that I live to bring God glory, not myself? Am I trying to glorify myself, or am I trying to glorify Jesus? And then third, can you honestly say that you're building God's kingdom right now, not your own? That's really tough for pastors. You know? You get some pastors in the build bigger and bigger and bigger churches, and they say they're doing it to build God's kingdom, but in reality, sometimes they're just building their own kingdom. And by the way, you can have a little teeny-weeny church and still be trying to build your own kingdom. Okay? So you got to make sure, hey, am I really doing this? Do I live to build God's kingdom? Or am I living for myself? If you can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that means you're living for Jesus, you're living to bring him glory, and you're living to build his kingdom and, uh, and not your own. And uh, look at Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2 and verse 20. He also talks about here what it means... Um, that to live is Christ. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. So if you're a true believer and you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, you tell somebody, hey, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus. You know, you, you may not realize it, but you're telling you that the old you is dead. Praise the, Lord. the old Phil Fernandez died. When I trusted in Jesus for salvation, that means I was crucified with Christ. So Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? So if, if you can honestly say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that means that you're not living for yourself anymore. That means you're living by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're trusting in him and his word for guidance in daily living and for the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, trusting in the Holy Spirit to empower you to obey God from the heart. But your life is not defined by, you know, Phil Fernandez's agenda. Okay? And we're going to see as we go throughout the next few passages, Paul wants churches to be united. He wants us to be of one mind. And to be of one mind means that we, he wants us to be of one agenda. But let me tell you, there are an awful lot of cults, non-Christian cults, that are all of one mind and united. That's not the kind of unity that Paul wants or that Jesus wants. But to be united, you've got to be of one mind. Okay? And... Um, and you might say, well, you know, Pastor Phil, you know, no offense, but, you know, I don't want to be of your mind. I mean, you're just a fallible guy. Well, no, that's great. Praise God. You shouldn't want to be of my mind. Myself included, 
all of us should take on the mind of Christ. Okay? So if we're going to be united, we've got to have one mind, one agenda, and if it's a unity that pleases the Lord, it, we're going to take on the mind of Christ or the agenda of Christ. You know what the agenda of Christ is called? What God's agenda is called? It's called the kingdom of God. And we've got to live to build his kingdom and further the cause of his kingdom, understanding that things are going to get pretty ugly before Jesus comes back. But we've got to preach the gospel, not just with our neighbors and all. We've got to support foreign missions, preach the gospel, have the gospel preached to all nations. Why? Because my reason to live, your reason to live, is Jesus. Okay? You know, I think Pat preached a little bit on it last week. I listened to part of the message on the way over today on the radio. Um, the true meaning of life. The world's greatest philosophers have searched for the true meaning of life, and most of them never found it. But the true meaning of life, when everything is said and done, the true meaning of life is to personally know Christ and to make him known. Everything else is window dressing. And you can say, well, Pastor John, why do you, why do, you do carpentry work? If it's all about knowing Christ and making him known, why do you do carpentry work? Because God, if he's going to make Christ known, he's got to practice what he preaches, and he's got to take care of his family. And he takes care of his family by doing carpentry work. I take care of, of my family, you know, and then, then he, we get supplemental income here, and then I take care of my family, not just with this church, but primarily with teaching high school students. Um, I mean, when we preach the gospel, our words would have no power if we're saying, hey, you need to trust in Jesus for salvation and then live for Jesus. And then people say, well, aren't, isn't your family starving to death right now? Didn't you quit your job to go and preach on street corners or whatever? You know, so when God called me, to be a preacher, when I got the call, okay, that meant that I had to stay in law enforcement for 10 more years and get the schooling that I needed uh, to be all that God called me to be. And, uh, and then I went full-time in 1994, from 1994 to 1999, and then eventually funds were a little low. I had to take a cut and pay and then accepted the teaching position um, back in 1999, and so since 94, I've been preaching the word full time. Um, but that's part. Of, our message is not just our words. If we're going to live for Jesus, if we understand the true meaning of life is to personally know Christ and to make Him known, then we're going to have to preach not just with our words, but with our actions too. Okay. If I'm Telling everybody about Jesus and I treat my family like garbage. There's no power in those words. In fact, there's power in those words, but it's all power against the gospel, not for it. Just going to push people away. In fact, there are, I'll be honest, there are some professing Christians I just wish they would keep quiet. Because every time they open their mouth and tell people they're Christians, they push people away from Jesus. Because they don't act like Christians. For us, can we say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? So as a Paul could say, look, if I go on living, I'm just living for Jesus. In fact, it's not even me who's living. The old, the old Saul of Tarsus, he died. He was crucified with Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. And this new creation in Christ, okay, is being conformed daily into the image of Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I don't do my own thinking. I go to God's word. And I study God's word. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I put on the mind of Christ. Okay? I see everything through the Jesus filter. And, um, and so the Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but I'll be honest with you, Philippians... 
Paul says, for me to die is gain. Paul could say, if it's, if it's all about me, if all it's concerned about is me and my walk with the Lord, I'd rather be dead right now. I'd rather be with Jesus. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. Just worshiping the Lord Jesus throughout all eternity. Um, for me to die is gain. You know, do we really believe that? You know? We're so comfortable here in America. Even though our freedoms are, are starting to be, starting to dissolve, we're just so comfortable. Um, you guys say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I can't figure out how to make my mortgage payment, man, I'm, I'm going to just come unglued. And... Uh, the biblical saints, they had to depend on Jesus one day at a time. America, we're moving in that direction now. You know? And some of us, by the grace of God and being faithful stewards, have prepared a good retirement and a good inheritance for our kids and stuff like that. I mean, there are people that put me to shame when I see what good faithful stewards they are. But if they're godly people, they recognize it could all be taken away. It could be all taken away. You think your kids want your inheritance? I could tell you, I can give you a list of politicians who want it even more. You know, they want it, everybody says they want to tax us to death. No, no, no. They want to tax us to death and then tax our inheritance. I mean, government's supposed to serve people, and they, what are they doing? They're enslaving us. And so we've had it good here in America. But we need some boot camp training to really find out what it means to live for Jesus. Because you really find out what it means to live for Jesus when you got nothing else. Okay? It's like right now we think, oh, I'm, I'm living for Jesus. But yeah, I'm living for Jesus, but I got a whole lot of stuff, too. You take away the stuff, we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll separate the, uh, uh, the, the, the true faithful believers from the pretenders. And, um, but Paul could say to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, Paul's letting them know, you know, hey, hey, if it was just about me, I'd pray that Jesus would take me home right now. Okay? And, and, and by the way, you know, when you think of something like suicide, you think, you know, it'd be so much better to be with Jesus. Well, why don't we take our lives? Well, because they don't belong to us. God, if God owns you and your life, then you allow God to make that decision when you stay and when you go. And if God chooses, if, you know, if the doctors tell you you're going to die, the doctors once misdiagnosed a heart ailment that they thought I had, and they thought I had weeks to live. So they convinced me I had weeks to live. And... Um, um, you know, but you have to decide. H, if I, if I wake up tomorrow morning, I'm going to live tomorrow for Jesus. Okay. Um, if God takes me home, that was His call, and to die is gain. And, and, and by the way, this this refutes soul sleep. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Seventh Day Adventists, they teach after you physically die, you cease to exist. Until um, you're raised from the dead when Jesus returns. But even in 2 Corinthians 5.8, it says, Prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So when a Bible-believing Christian dies and their spirit leaves their body, immediately you go into the presence of the Lord. Okay? You don't cease to exist. Now, Paul says you, you kind of exist in a... In a strange, weird way, it's kind of like being naked without your body, but your spirit is with the Lord, you have conscious existence, and then when Jesus returns, your body is going to be resurrected, your mortal body will put on immortality and join the Lord in the air as the Lord returns. So, uh, so look at verse 22 of Philippians chapter 1. 
So in 21 he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, if God chooses to let me live, says Paul, and get released from prison, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my, from my labor, fruit from my work, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. Now remember, you know, Paul has said that even the palace guard knows that they drummed up bogus charges, the Jewish religious leaders. Even the guards know he's innocent. And instead of Paul complaining and whining, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, he's like, look, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If God wants me in prison writing letters uh, to the churches and then ministering to those who come to visit me, so be it. If God wants me to live, I'll live for Jesus. If God wants me to die, um, that, that's his call. But he says, but if Paul, if God decides to let Paul live, he's like, well, great, then I'll bear much fruit for God's kingdom. Okay? Now, we have some people here who are retired. We have a lot of people here that probably hope to someday retire. Okay? Retiring from your career or your job is a good thing. But there is no such thing as retiring from Christian living. Okay? I, I love watching Christian brothers and sisters retiring, being real smart with their money, and then they retire and they don't need money anymore, and then they decide, okay, what does God want me to do now with my life? Why? Because they're not living for themselves. They're living for Jesus. By the way, if you look at people who live for themselves, their lives are miserable. A lot of people who live for themselves and retire die within the first year of retirement. Because like, man, I worked hard all my life. Now I'm going to sit on a couch, drink beer, and watch NFL football. Uh, well, you're going to watch all these healthy athletes while you get unhealthier and unhealthier. And my, my dad had a buddy who retired at the age of electrician in Essex County. The age of 55 was dead before he was 56. And, um, but no, you live for Christ. And um, there are some people in our county that godly people that have been retired for 20 or 30 years, and they still put in more hours a week than we do. It's just they're serving Jesus from the opening bell to the closing bell. But Paul says, look, if, uh, if God lets me live, if he wants me to live, then I'll bear more fruit for his kingdom. Verse 23, Paul says, for I am hard-pressed between the two. Saying, I got a tough decision here. I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better than in 24. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Okay? Um, and so Paul's saying, look, if I remain, I'm going to bear much fruit for God's kingdom. I really desire to depart and to be with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord However, if I continue living and continuing in ministry, that's better for the Philippians and the other churches that Paul, Paul planted. So Paul's confident he's going to live and see the Philippians again. And, um, and um, at the same time, he'd much rather be with Jesus. You know, I, By the way, very rarely do I get this, but there was one time... I was at school after hours working on some stuff, and I was singing praise songs, and I just got so filled with the Spirit that uh, I was happy. I had the joy of the Lord, but I just said, I wasn't in any pain or anything, and I said, Lord, just take me home now. Just, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like the world anymore. Just take me home. I want to be with you, okay? And then immediately... Uh, I thought about my wife and my grandson. And I said, uh, Lord, Lord, never mind. Uh, I'm going to stick around. I want to be there. I want to be there for them. And that's what Paul's doing. Paul's like, Lord, just take me home. I just want to be with you. This world's got nothing to offer me anymore. I, I, just, I just love you, Jesus. Just take me home. And it's like, Oh, but the Philippians, 
and the Corinthians and the Galatians and the Ephesians. I got two guys I'm training for the ministry. Titus and uh, Timothy. They still need me. You know? When you read 2 Timothy, Paul knows that Timothy's ready to go. That's why he tells him, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. He realized Timothy's going to have to leave, leave the nest because um, I'm not going to be around for him anymore. Um, but that's the way. We've got we to gotta have that conflict. You know, most of us love this world so much. You know, we're saying, Lord, you know, I love you. I want to be with you. Take me home when I'm 120, okay? Um, but um, we got a desire to be with Jesus right now. At the same time, we got to say, however, Lord, if there's work that, that you want me to do and there's people that you want me to minister to, people you want me to share the gospel with, people you want me to disciple, uh, people you want me to serve and to love, well, then leave me on planet Earth and use me and, and empower me. And, um, and so, uh, but we should all have this, uh, this conflict within us. Verses 24 to 26. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So Paul's saying, look, I would much rather die and be with Jesus, but you need me around for a few more years. Verse 25, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you, uh, with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Okay? And uh, so Paul's saying, look, my living, my continuing to live on planet Earth and continuing to minister... Uh, to you is better for the Philippians. So Paul seems confident that he's going to live to see the Philippians again. Uh, he talks about their, all their progress. They're growing in the Lord. Okay? You might look at me and say, man, that guy's he's got issues. Okay? But hopefully I got less issues than I had last year. And last year I had less issues than the year before. Okay? And, you know, teachers do incur stricter judgment, but we're all growing. But Paul's looking at the progress there of the Philippians, and he says, you know, you guys are moving forward. Um, I want to continue with you in your progress. I wanna, I'm your spiritual father. I led you to Christ. I planted the church. I want to continue to watch you grow. And then, But he also talked about not only their progress, but their joy of faith. Remind ourselves that uh, of the joy of faith. The Christian walk is to be one of joy. You know, a lot of our friends know we're Christians. But how many of them would say, man, that guy's really got a lot of joy. If we, you know, we have access to the fruit of the Spirit. We have access to joy. If we would manifest God's joy in our life... You know, that might make Jesus look a lot more attractive to people. But if we want to take the light of Christ and constantly put out that flame, um, you know, I mean, I'm telling you, if people come and visit our church and they see nothing but World War III going on, a bunch of fights, no unity in Christ, no joy in the Lord, no joy of the Lord, a bunch of fights... You know what somebody's going to say? They walk in, a non-believer walks in and sees that. He's going to say, why should I go here? I can watch better fights at a local bar on Friday and Saturday nights. Why would I come to Trinity Bible Fellowship? Um, but we're supposed to have the joy of the Lord. Now keep in mind, the joy of the Lord is not happiness. It's not based on emotions. Happiness it's like a roller coaster ride. When things go your way, you're happy. When things don't go your way, you're sad. Joy is a choice. You choose to access 
God's power to cause you to look up even when your situation would make most people look down. Okay? And um, so you can have the joy of the Lord in the Philippian jail, like Paul and Silas singing praise songs to God. You can have the joy of the Lord um, at a loved one's memorial service. Having a joy of the Lord doesn't mean you smile all the time. It's one thing I hate about Christian television. Everybody's got this fake smile. Sometimes they think the, the camera's not on them. And they uh, take their tongue and, and kind of relax their jaw a little bit from all the fake smiling that they're doing. You know, but I, I, I will say this. I wish I could control my facial expressions better. Because I've gone decades of being a Christian since 1981. And when I walk around in Walmart, nobody would say hello to me unless they knew who I was. They would just walk by. And I thought, people are so antisocial. And then they forced us to wear masks. And now, even before I put on the Jesus is Lord mask that my wife had made for me, um, when it's just a regular mask, people say, hey, how you doing? And total strangers. And so all I could figure is when I'm on a mission at Walmart to pick up, you know, ice cream and eggs or whatever it is, I probably had some kind of scowl on my face. So I had the joy of the Lord, but it doesn't always show. So maybe sometimes I need to work a little bit, a little bit better but the fact of the matter is a fake smile is not the joy of the Lord. Joy of the Lord might be weeping at the memorial service of your loved one. And someone pats you on the back, a Christian brother, and says, are you okay? And, uh, and you look at them with tears in your eyes. And you say, God is good. Okay? Now you're not saying you totally understand God. Because he's infinite in wisdom, and you're finite, you're limited in wisdom. We don't always understand his ways. His ways and his thoughts are as far above ours as the heavens are above the earth. Job didn't understand his ways. I didn't do anything wrong. Why, why is everything going wrong with me? And he's got his friends slamming him. He must have done something wrong. And then God shows up and basically told him, no, Job. You know enough about my greatness and my goodness not to question me in areas that you just don't understand. And so even when things hurt, even when we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, we know our God is good. Because we know he is good, we can rejoice. We can have his joy even in the midst um, of our sufferings. Um, and, um, and Paul is basically saying, look, there's going to be abundant joy if I get to see you again. Okay? He didn't talk that way about the Corinthians, by the way. <laughs> but the Corinthians, it was a different thing. Uh, I love coming to church on Sunday. I hated that I got sick and had a miss last Sunday. Um, and that's the way Paul was with the Philippians. He wished he could just visit them, you know, once a month or whatever. But um, uh, with the Corinthians, it was like, look, guys, I could show up and give you a loving hug or I could show up with a big stick. You just remember the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. And the Apostle Paul, empowered by God, was saying, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. Okay? And um, so, but the, but the Philippians, he loved the Philippians and wanted them to experience abundant joy, which he would experience if he visited them again. Then in verses 27 to 30, Paul gives the Corinthians encouragement to live and suffer for Christ. Now, as an American... It makes sense that Paul would encourage us to live for Christ. But we don't like that suffering part. You know, we're not really too good at that suffering part. Um, you know, if my toaster breaks, I think, you know, oh, wow, I'm having a, a job. Now I know what Job went through. And um, so we're not real good on the suffering part. But Paul encourages the Philippians to live and suffer for Christ. Look at verses 27 and 28. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ 
You know, live like a Christian should live. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, a proof of their destruction, but to you it's proof of salvation, but to you of salvation and that from God. So Paul says, look, whether I do, you know, I want to see you again. I do hope God releases me from prison so I can visit you again. But whether I see you or not, your conduct should be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay? It's like being a boss and saying, look, I might show up at the job site tomorrow, but even if I can't make it, work as if I'm there. Okay, looking over your shoulder. So Paul's saying, don't just be godly Christians when I'm around. Be godly Christians even when I'm not around. So uh, whether I see you or not, your conduct should be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You should live like Christians ought to live. And Paul says, even if I can't visit you, I want to hear good reports about you. Okay? Um, that they stand fast in one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Okay? We only have one spirit at work here. The Holy Spirit, um, we don't want, we don't invite unclean spirits here. We rebuke the unclean spirits. But we need to stand fast in one spirit. Uh, we need to have one mind. That's unity in Christ, the mind of Christ. Okay? Um, you know, there's a lot of people who badmouth the American church. And I'm one of them. We do so many things wrong. But I always make it clear, I'm badmouthing what we Americans have made of the church. I'm not badmouthing the concept of the church. Some people will badmouth the church, that which the Lord Jesus, that was his idea, that which the Lord Jesus instituted. Some people will badmouth the church and then start their own ministry, which isn't a church, and act like this is where God's at work, not over there. And so sometimes I have to tell those brothers and sisters, you'll never convince me that you have a better idea than Jesus. Okay? It was Jesus' idea, uh, the church, the called-out assembly, um, all true believers uh, to gather in his name. So we've got to put on the mind of Christ. Now, is there ever a time you're not justified in going to church, going to gather with other believers? Yeah, Paul's going through it right now. He's in prison. But some of us will say, well, I'm not going to church on Sunday because uh, I'm not fellowshipping with Christians at all this week because I want to go fishing. Or, oh, the playoffs are on. I'm going to just watch the playoffs. And uh, um, whatever it may be. You know, we used to have sometimes you'd have a guy at the church who's there every single Sunday until football season. Then all the home games, he's, um, I don't even know what they call it now. Is it Quest Field or? used to be the kingdom. Everything used to be the kingdom. I don't even know where the Seahawks play anymore, but, but whatever the case, um, we got to put on the mind of Christ what Jesus prioritizes, we have to prioritize. To put on the mind of Christ, we say, yes, Jesus, your agenda, not my agenda. Okay? And, uh, and of course, his agenda is... Uh, the kingdom of God. Paul prayed, he wanted to hear good reports about them, that they were striving together for Christ. Okay? See, you can't slime together for Christ. Okay? Christ doesn't accept that. We've got to strive together. If you don't think, if you don't think you're in battle, you're in a war, it doesn't mean you're not in a war, the spiritual battle for the souls of human beings, 
if you don't think you're in a war, it doesn't mean that you're not in a war, this great cosmic war. It just means you're in a foxhole, you're ducked down, and you're ignoring what's going on. Okay? But we need to strive. We need to strive more against the forces of evil. We've got to, you know, some of us are going to be called to be loud Christians. I could look around here and I could see some loud Christians. Some of us are going to be called to be quiet Christians. And we need both. You know, when the Nazis took over, when the communists took over in, in uh, Russia, um, you needed loud Christians to get the word out and preach the gospel, and then they'd get locked up and eventually executed, but they planted churches within the prisons and all. But you also needed the quiet Christians to keep the house churches going. Um, you know, at the end of 70 years of the Soviet Union, the... Uh, Churches, you know, that the underground church was going strong. Look how it's doing in China um, right now. But whether we're loud or whether we're quiet, we have to strive together for Christ. And this is a spiritual battle. Uh, Paul says, don't be terrified by your enemies. Boy, boy that's a message for, for American Christians. Because we've had it so good in this country now, all of a sudden, we're the bad guys. Used to be this country built on God's morality. If God's word says something's good, that's good. If it says it's bad, that's bad. Then we entered into a period of no morality. That's when your neighbor would say, oh, I heard you're a Christian. Well, if that's good and true for you, I'm, I'm happy for you. But it's not good and true for me. We're not in that no morality Phase. We've gone from God's morality to no morality as a culture. Now it's new morality. Now all of a sudden, horrible, sinful practices are considered wholesome alternative lifestyles. And if you're a Christian, you're considered a bigot. So now when your unbelieving neighbor finds out that you're a Christian, they don't say, oh, well, if that's good and true for you, I'm happy for you. Now they say, really? I didn't know you were one of those intolerant bigots. And so it's Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Um, We've got we to do a lot better in our striving together for Christ. But don't be terrified by your enemies. Now you might say, well, Pastor Phil, you don't understand, they could lock me up. Yeah, they could. Um, they could destroy my career. Yeah, they could. They could kick me out of my house. They could. They could take my family away from me. Yeah, they could. Well then, why should I not be terrified by my enemies? Because they can't take Jesus from me. So the guy's leading me down a hall to be executed for preaching the gospel. I'll try to remember to let him know. You can take my life. You can't take Jesus from me. Hopefully I could say with Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Okay? Um, so we should never be terrified by our enemies. And this fearlessness, when Christians are not afraid of their enemies and we get persecuted this fearlessness proves the genuineness of our faith Paul says here proves that our faith is genuine but it also proves the perdition the coming judgment of our persecutors our persecutors should look at us like they like they do in in China when they persecute Christians, like they did in the old Soviet Union, like they do in, in Muslim countries. They should look at Christians who are not afraid to suffer for Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, and they should tremble. If they kill you in the name of communism, they should acknowledge this person is not afraid. Their master is greater than communism. If they do it in the name of Islam, they need to recognize 
that the God of Christianity is greater than the false God of Islam. And, uh, but it should cause us to see the genuineness of our faith, but also it should show our persecutors that their, their judgment is coming. You know, our faith is tested when we suffer. Okay? Sometimes it's not persecution. Sometimes it's just being in a wheelchair and health issues, and we're still praising Jesus. A lot of us have proven we can praise Jesus as long as we're healthy. You take our health from us, we might be tempted to give in to Job's wife, Job's wife's suggestion, curse God and die, okay? Um, but, you know, I've said this before, I'll say it many times, I've met with brothers. Minnesota had a, a, a meeting with two brothers. Uh, uh, one uh, would smuggle my, uh, in the MP3 format, hundreds of my sermons into uh, into uh, Arab nations. He knew Saudi Arabian pilots who were secret Christians. Nobody searched their stuff, so they brought my stuff. One third of the MP, of the, they'd make them on CD onto CDs. One third would be Arabic music. One third my teaching. The other one third Arabic music. So even if they got caught, they'd have a sixty six point seven percent chance of Arabic music playing. Uh, the other guy used to uh, go to the refugee camps in Uganda, and they didn't even have electricity there. They'd, they'd go, they, they'd wind it round and round and listen to audio. We were sending him audio cassettes, and they would train their future ministers with that. And when I got to meet with those guys, they, they would always act like I was this big holy man because I was giving them all this stuff for free. We were giving them all this stuff for free and letting them use it and he'd act like I was a holy man, but I'd constantly tell them, um, my faith hasn't been tested yet. Out of us three, I was the only one who could have taken off my shirt and shown a back without wounds. These brothers had been beaten. Salam, it just means peace in Arabic. That's not his real name. I didn't want to know his real name because I didn't want somebody to beat it out of me. But he was actually in prison in Egypt until George W. Bush got him released. Had to twist a few arms on that. But I told him, my faith hasn't been tested yet. And it's interesting, their response. They said, oh, it will be. And we're praying for the American church. Um, and they said this to me like 20 years ago. Um, but they saw the writing on the wall. Americans are starting to see the writing on the wall. A little late in the game. We should have woke up and smelled the coffee a long time ago. But whatever the case, um, our faith is tested when we suffer. When things are going, anybody, anybody can claim to be a Christian when things are going good. And then verses 29 and 30. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. And so he says, look, it's been granted to the Philippians, to you Philippians, not only to believe, but to also to suffer for Christ. How many of us think of that, that it's actually, it's an honor to believe in Jesus? And it's an honor to suffer for Jesus. Okay? You know, I'm, you know, you guys know this. You've known it for decades. I'm an Oakland Raider fan now, Las Vegas Raiders fan, whatever that is. And, um, um, but it's not always an honor being a Raider fan. My guys haven't won a ring since 1983. Yeah, I know there's, there's a few guys mourning with me right now. And, um, um, because why? What happens? Well, sometimes my guys just plain let me down. And sometimes they're just not as good as the guys that line up against them on the field. Okay? So I can believe in the Raiders. It's not always an honor. Okay? Sometimes I'd wear a, you know, back when the gang, wannabe gang thing was popular, I'd wear a Raider sweatshirt and people asked me if I was a gang member. 
I was almost tempted to say yes because the alternative was to admit I was a Raider fan, a fan of a 3-13 and 13 football team. But I'd, I'd come clean and say, no, it's worse than that. I'm a Raider fan. And, um, but our Savior doesn't let us down. He never drops the ball. Okay. He's the ultimate victor. Okay. It is an honor to believe in Jesus. And don't ever let anybody tell you. People are going to make, try to make you ashamed to be a believer. It is an honor to believe in Jesus, but it's also an honor to suffer for Christ. People are going to say, oh, look, look at that guy. That guy or that gal had so much potential. Could have made lots of money. Could have been a politician. Could have done this. Could have done that. Could have done this. And now they're in prison for preaching the gospel. What a shame. And Paul would say, no, it's an honor. So it's an honor not only to believe, but to also suffer for Christ. Paul's setting the example for them. And then he says there, too, he closes chapter 1. Of course, we make the chapter breaks, not Paul. Um, but you have the same conflict that you see in me. You should have it in yourself, too. What conflict is Paul talking about? It was, he was conflicted. Do I want to die and be with Jesus? Or do I want to live and bear further fruit for God's kingdom? We should all have this conflict. If we don't have this conflict, we've got to ask God why. Why don't I have this conflict? Why don't I long to die and be with Jesus, but also desire to remain here on earth preaching the gospel? I would recommend everybody here try through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God's wisdom, through studying God's word, plan as if you're going to live to be a hundred. Okay? Yet, recognize that God could take you home tonight. Okay? And so live as if God's going to take you home tonight but plan as if you're going to be on planet Earth until you're 100, because he makes the call, uh, not you. Even when the bad guys want to make the call and take you off the planet, uh, they got to get permission from our king. And our king promises to work all things for good. So in conclusion, remind yourself this week that to live is Christ, Okay? Live for Jesus, not for yourself, okay? Live for Christ. To die is gain. What's the worst the world can do to you? They can kill you and uh, introduce you to Jesus, okay? Uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then, uh, and then acknowledge it's not all about you. It's all about Jesus and, um, and our faith is tested when we suffer. Um, our day of, te the American church, our day of suffering is just around the corner. I've been preaching that since the 1980s. Um, it's coming, it's coming down, it's coming down hard. And um, it's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Um, but I don't care how much suffering there is in the American church if it gets like the church in China, the church in the old Soviet Union, the church in Arab nations, Muslim nations, I don't care how much suffering goes on, always, always remember that you will never be ashamed of the Lord Jesus. It is an honor to believe in Jesus, and it is an honor to suffer for Jesus for our God is good. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord, and we just pray that you help us, empower us by the indwelling Holy Spirit to live for Jesus moment by moment and day by day, and that you would uh, empower us to love you so much and to love this world so little that we long and desire uh, to be with you. But while you leave us on this earth, Lord, let us never be ashamed 
Let us uh, be fearless in the midst of suffering and persecution. And let us acknowledge it is an honor to believe in your son. It's an honor to be a follower of Christ. And it is also an honor, if called to, it is an honor to suffer for Christ. Lord, we love you so, so much. Please help us to love you more. In Jesus' precious name we pray.